Hello and welcome. This is another edition of the eFolder Channel Chat Podcast. This is your host, Ted Holsey, Vice President of Marketing at eFolder. Today we are joined by Bill Ohms of BSS Consulting in Indiana. Bill, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's glad to be here. So, Bill, uh, we always start out and we invite our uh, MSP partner guests to talk a little bit about your company. So tell us about BSS Consulting. Well, we've been around since 1995, and certainly for the first big part of the time was just doing brake fix. And somewhere around 2008, we got uh, connected with a marketing group and really started marketing and doing uh, managed services, which pretty much is exclusively what we do at this time. And so during that time, we have grown from about five employees to today we have 13. Okay. And and what kind of, uh, what kind of clients do you serve? <clears throat> We're in a smaller community here in Indiana with roughly about 140,000 for the whole county. So our clients have tended to be just small businesses. And we do have quite a few in the attorneys and uh, a couple in the healthcare industry. But in general, they're just somewhere between 10 computers and 100 computers, uh, small businesses that uh, don't really want to hire an IT guy. So we are taking total care of their IT. Okay. And you made this transition from a a project base or a break fix type business model to manage services. What was the uh, hardest part of the transition? That's a very good question. One of the hardest things I noticed was, you know, up until 2008, I would have said, oh, I never lost a client. Our clients loved us. But as we transitioned to the monthly recurring model and implementing our software and tools, I ended up having a lot of what I felt were good friends leave. And the reason is we were doing a good job. And they, it's like, why should we pay you monthly when there's nothing broke, nothing's wrong? Mm -hmm. So the, really the hardest part was converting existing clients to the managed service model. Uh, in general, I could really see the benefit. So for me mentally to get on board with gee, I'm going to just start billing you monthly and we're going to install that server and not charge you anymore for it. That was an easy transition for me personally uh, because I knew that they would keep paying me for the next three years. So uh, that was easy. It was just those existing clients where we were doing a very good job that it was hard to leave them behind. Yeah, and I think uh, I, I've read Carl Palachuk's uh, uh, manage services in a minute, or what's it? I forget. And it, it manages services in a month or something. Book, uh, and, and I think one of those core chapters there, very early on, is that you have to, you you will have clients you have to leave behind because they've either been you've you've trained them incorrectly or they've become habituated to a different kind of consumption model, and they're just not going to buy in. To the different way of doing things, um, even if you did serve them well, they just won't maybe mentally grasp, you know, how you're trying to approach technology management, and so it's kind of a natural part of the progression. And it maybe emotionally hurts because you don't like to lose clients, but 
uh, I think that's part of the discipline of having a focused approach, it seems to me. That, that is correct. Another kind of related uh, problem is your own staff, because the staff I had at the time, again, had all those same bad habits of they loved being firefighters, and they didn't like, you know, they didn't understand the idea of managing. So over time, I ended up having to replace most of my staff as well. Interesting. So, so there's kind of that same issue that there's kind of a, an approach to doing things, or they like to be the hero, and a smoothly running MSP practice uh, shouldn't have fires, right? If you've correctly configured things, deployed things, and etc. That is correct. I, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. And then, so I guess I, I think this kind of a naturally flows into this next part of the conversation. Then. Um, I guess at some point when you were making this transition, you were you were losing some clients. You probably grasped immediately, I've got to go out and find new clients. And tell me a little bit about that that part of the journey. Certainly, up until that time, uh, you know, I was, I think, incorrectly, but I was proud of the fact that all of my clients were word of mouth and referrals. But of course, when I'm doing something different and really uh, move to the managed service model. I had to intentionally go out and look for those good clients. And being part of a marketing group, you know, gave me a lot of material, a lot of ideas on how to reach out to them, whether it was a marketing campaign, a seminar where I would start uh, explaining and educating the participants of the seminar about what a good backup system was or what cloud uh, computing was or what managed services was. So uh, providing seminar and educating my clients through marketing and uh, different uh, formats was one of the best ways for me to start getting into that. Of course, it was still hard. I, you know, in the beginning, you're learning how to do something. You fail, but you got to pick yourself up and say, well, what did I do wrong? What could I do better? And then you go out the next time and you just do a better job, and eventually it really starts flowing together. So a couple words there I want to key in on. Uh, you said education and, and seminars. So, so talk to us a little bit about um, what kind of seminars are you putting on? How do you find the venues? How do you create that atmosphere where you get a chance to educate prospects on, on how you can help them? Well, the format we've been using is we've been doing it over a noon. Usually it's a two-hour format because there's enough material to try and cram it into a lunch hour seems to have been difficult to give some time for an introduction, uh, questions at the end. It just was too uh too much going on in an hour period of time. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing a two-hour over the, like from noon to 12. Mm -hmm. And it's just to give up to uh, go through a, a presentation of some sort where we're uh, telling them, uh, you know, the different ways to protect their system, whether it's backup and passwords and spam filter and so on, and provide them with material so they can take notes and really, I like an open discussion, so have a lot of questions, which is part of the reason it drags on more than a, a quick 30-minute 
presentation it ends up being 45 minutes to an hour so that's kind of the format of course getting people there is another challenge and that's where we're again connected with marketing to uh, our current list to our chamber uh, our chamber has been very influential in our community and helpful for us and then of course we use some other lists and uh, people that we've known and business cards we've collected over time as well. So, so tell me a little bit about what what kind of venues so you do it over lunch, uh, trying to make it trying to make it an hour pitch is 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 or educational seminars too short. So you're looking for two hours of commitment. What kind of venues uh, do you select to actually host the the event? We've been very fortunate. The recent ones. Uh, we're in an area here close to Purdue University, and it's called the Purdue Research Park is where our office is. Therefore, since we're in this location, we can use any of their conference rooms in the research park. So it's really just a big room that has all sorts of audiovisual, uh, holds about 40 to 50 people, and so it's been a great location uh, everybody knows where the location is so that's really been a great venue for us uh, one we've used in the past was uh, one of our clients a local uh, realtor MLS office where they had a training room about the same size wasn't quite as nice but uh, again it was inexpensive so that's you know when you're a small business that's always <laughs> something to consider as well okay and and how I, I love the format do, do you serve a, a light lunch or a buffet lunch or sandwiches or something you're just trying to understand the formula because I think there's so many partners out there that are just desperate to try to crack the code on this formula and I think uh, I'm loving what I'm hearing exactly and one of the things actually another thing we've done with all of our seminars is we partner with another a business in town, whether it's an insurance agent, uh, a voice over IP provider, a copier company. Uh, we have a local internet service provider in town. By doing that, I've been able to have them say, hey, you know, I'll charge you a hundred, two hundred dollars to be a, uh, a sponsor and that covers a meal. So then I can offer a box lunch for, you know, about twelve dollars a person. And when I add it all up with the sponsors, and, you know, it almost costs me nothing most of the time. So that's been a great way to do it. Plus, if you're getting a business involved, they may have their own set of clients that they want to market to, which is another good uh, potential for leads for me as an MSP to work with them. So that's been a great way uh, as well. Um We've always provided the lunch free. One of our little tricks we've done is as we get people to sign up, we give them a choice, say, of three different sandwiches. And once they choose the sandwich, they feel committed to show up. I love it. I love it. We, we, do, the <laughs> same, we do the same thing. Uh, we do a lot of lunch and learns where we host them at a restaurant. And we'll yep. uh, there's a lot of data and evidence that shows that You'll get rid of tire kickers or people who sign up for everything and show up for nothing, and the people who do show up will have a little bit of uh, 
social pressure to follow through on the commitment to attend. Right. So uh, definitely appreciate the tactic and endorse it. Um, talk to us a little bit about so, you, so you're in the uh, the Purdue Research Park and you have kind of a, a, a almost like a college style classroom. It sounds like uh, type auditorium space. Um, is that is am I envisioning this correctly? The ones we have used have just been, uh, you know, a, a square room. They haven't been an auditorium okay, style gotcha. classroom. Okay. So it's just been a, a big conference room. But again, being in the research park, they do have a lot of good audio visuals. So we don't, you know, you just set your laptop down and plug it into the wall, and everything's set up and working for you. And uh, whether you want to use uh, a microphone or a smaller crowd, just speak to them. But the the screen and everything is all ready for you. So it's and in a, a room off to the side for your. Uh, lunch and sandwiches that you may have. It's just been a great location for us to hold these kind of events. And give us a sense of some of the topics you'd cover. I mean, what what do you find is uh, content that's going to draw people in? Early on, it was uh, about backup and the different BDRs. And so that's been uh, was a big topic, especially as people were moving from the traditional tape to uh, a more BDRs, what we're using today. And of course, voice over IP has been something new in cloud computing. Uh, more recently, the topics we've been actually partnering up with a local FBI agent, uh, and so our seminars now have two or three speakers where he actually is the lead speaker, which is a big draw for participants. So he's talking about some of the things that the FBI is doing or vulnerabilities are seeing. And then I cover my topic of something dealing with cyber warfare and security of their system. And that has really worked out real well more recently. And, and what's the FBI? I mean, I've heard, uh, I think there's a, a, an organization called InfraGuard, which is kind of mm -hmm. made up of, uh, it's maybe FB, the FBI's outreach stuff to the community. What, what does the FBI get out of kind of engaging uh, in a seminar like this? That's a, an interesting question. The individual we had was just extremely appreciative of us asking him to come. Mm -hmm. It seemed like the FBI has a bad rap, that they're looked as, you know, the men in black, the the bad guys. They come around to shoot them up or something. So he's coming just in a sense as a, a PR for the FBI in general and the local office to get people to be willing to call the FBI when you have a data breach or when something goes wrong rather than hiding it because they can't do anything unless they're able to collect information and have participation of you know the general public when there's issues that go on so i think they it was just a pr thing for him to be out in the community and and before i connected with him uh, about a year ago I did not even know we had a local FBI office. Yep. <laughs> so, you know, it just it just brings it uh, recognition that he's available. 
he's a resource that the general public can use. Right, and I think the I think the general takeaway for our listeners is is think of the different you know organizations that have authority and can speak with authority on topics, for instance, and um, and and actually need need the arms and legs right of of the outreach and the and the community building and the engagement. I think you say I think you've maximized that as a resource, and uh, I've, I've heard a lot of about a lot of other FBI use of FBI folks in security type seminars, and it's it always works like a charm. I mean, you've got to hopefully you need a good speaker. You should meet right. the person and and vet them naturally, and and make sure they're going to be interesting and engaging and informative. But um, I think in general, it adds a ton of credibility because they are at the nexus of. Uh, of a lot of really uh, interesting stories uh, about, you know, fighting cyber crime and, and dealing with all the security challenges we all face today. Um, so I think it's a great one. Um, so 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 talk to us a little bit. You, you mentioned you're involved with uh, a peer group around marketing. Which one and, and, and what are you involved with there? Uh, I'm involved with the Technology Marketing Toolkit uh, with out of Nashville, Tennessee and been with them for about eight years now since 2008 actually nine years and you know they have it's a very good peer group because we're able to get together with other IT business owners where on one level you can just share stories that you can't share with your staff but secondly is you learn things of what others are doing you're getting a big picture rather than your own small little part of the world uh, you're able to understand what other products they're offering, how they're offering their services, uh, how they're pricing things. or And again, we gain friendships doing this to when we have issues come up, we have someone to call and say, hey, how would you handle this? So it's just a, a great uh, business and friendships that you develop being part of these different peer groups like that. Right. So, I mean, this is Robin Robbins's uh, community, and I mean, she gives a ton of very practical uh, marketing assets and tools in her toolkits that you can actually use. But I think it's pretty smart. I mean, I think maybe it's six or seven years ago now that she really started to foster the community dimension and add in the peer group component for peer accountability and 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 sharing as you noted um are you a, are you a part of the producers club or how, how does that work yes i i joined the producers club right off the in 2008 so i've been in the producers club which uh she sometimes has some additional a small peer group uh doing some things but the producers club is her main group that meets quarterly. Uh, we get her new marketing ideas uh, first, and always has, you know, high-level speakers coming to her different events. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a provides a lot of materials from the website to, you know, other marketing material that we can use. Mm -hmm. And and I mean, it seems like it was a natural decision for you. But what what kind of advice would you give if somebody was, you know, debating whether this was a worthwhile investment? Um, what would you say are kind of the what what pays the freight? I mean, what what drives the ROI in terms of uh, the return on investment for for a partner who's looking at something like Producers Club? 
Well, a good way to start is she always has a boot camp coming up uh, around April or May, and that's a big event to really get familiar with what the group is all about. What helps drive it then is learning about vendors, such as you know from eFolder to all of the other vendors out there that serve the MSP channel. So you're seeing vendors that are, and you get to talk to them, and you get to make a great relationship with these vendors. So you're not just an account number. You know, you're developing a partnership with your vendor, just like you want to do with your clients yourself. So, but it's also the biggest ROI for everyone you talk to in the producers club is fellow producer members. You know, when we go out for dinner, when we have our phone calls, when we uh, just get together there as a group, the you're sharing what they're doing in their business and what we're doing in our business. It just is, that's the biggest ROI on it. Certainly we get newsletters, we get our website, we get all of this host. If you want to do a marketing campaign to attorneys or if you want to do a marketing campaign for Valentine's Day, there's material and examples available for us. And, and what's the, what is, so you, you mentioned that you guys meet quarterly in person, I think mostly in Nashville. But what are the what are these uh, what are the opportunities to get together with your peers in between those quarterly meetings? Well, certainly, depending on the group, many of us are dispersed across, of course, the U.S. Uh, I'm in a smaller, uh, what they call accountability group, and one of the members is up in Toronto, Canada. So getting together in between is a little more difficult face to face. But we, uh, there's about six of us that have a weekly phone call. So it helps hold us accountable to our goals, to our what we're going to say in our business. Uh, it, it just keeps us on the right track and focused. Uh, our group has always met a day ahead of time when the Producers Club meets quarterly. Uh, so we can meet a day ahead of time and doesn't, you know, it's one extra hotel night. But other right. than that, it doesn't cost us any more. Uh, so it's, and, and then we can share everything from financials to our burden cost of labor to you know everything that we need to do make smart business decisions. Great, and so that we, a weekly call that's that's uh, quite uh, intensive. Is everybody who's got an accountability group doing that sort of frequent uh, interaction? Oh yes, and it's it's usually an hour. Many times uh -huh. it goes over than that. Uh, we try and stick to, you know, everybody has their own different format. Whether it's just, you know, what was your goal last week and did you accomplish it, and what's your goal next week? Uh, some of them do a lot of other different formats of their calls, and uh, the concept of a hot seat where. You know, at the end of your call, maybe somebody's struggling with whether it's an employee or a client or a product, or it's usually business or marketing related. It's not a technical call, so it's it's just really something that helps us grow our business. Uh huh. And uh, we spend a lot of time talking with partners about how to build out kind of sales capability. So once you start doing good marketing, you're getting a nice steady flow of predictable leads and quality leads, how are you then converting uh, 
that business into new client relationships, and how are you handling sales in your business? Uh, about two years ago, I hired a salesperson for the first uh -huh. time, so that's a very good observation is, you know, the, we need the marketing, but marketing without sales is useless, and sales without marketing is useless. So uh, the sales uh, guy I have actually comes from the Comcast and Verizon world, so he has a lot of corporate dealing with business uh, experience. And so we spent some time training him on what we do for managed services and how we structure our offering. And he just hit the ground running very quickly. So he takes the leads that we have, whether it's from the website or our seminars, and he does a lot of canvassing and follows up calls. and. And we use ConnectWise to record and keep everything in, so we're watching and seeing how things are going and who's coming up in the sales funnel, you know, so we have, you know, a predictable number for this month and next month and where we're headed. Okay, and so, so, so he's primarily hunting new accounts, if I understand correctly. That is correct. Uh huh. Yes. Okay. Well, it's I, I just hosted a webinar yesterday where we we talked about how um, farming the base is a lot easier uh, to do than hiring a hunter. But it sounds like you've succeeded in uh, you know getting that first kind of hunting quota carrying sales resource on staff. How are you managing the installed base? What is your kind of cadence? Uh, after about kind of looking after the installed base of clients, I noticed that part of your title is VCIO, so maybe that's a part of the puzzle. It is. Along with that is, uh, I, again, late last year I hired a service manager for the first time uh -huh. because trying to manage the existing clients and the staff and be the lead tech, it just was too much. So now that we have a service manager, that's more of his role of uh, putting together the quarterly business meetings with clients, working through that, and certainly some of the larger clients or longer-term clients are ones I kind of partner with him on doing that. So together, my service manager and myself are doing a lot of those kind of activities. And my role has kind of moved to where I'm just managing and, and the vision of the business and mostly working now with the sales and marketing. Gotcha. And is the service manager, is that a quota-carrying role? I mean, are they do they have a revenue, recurring revenue number they're, they're managing to, or is it more about client satisfaction? It's more about client satisfaction. Uh, we have uh, roughly about 1,200 endpoints that we're managing right now. And so his goal is to keep those 40 or so clients along with all those endpoints, you know, happy. And would, this is kind of a new, again, a new position. So uh, that's a, a good point of what's a quota, what's the me metrics that I'm measuring him on. And we're looking for this, the engineers, of course, tickets and tickets closed. But this year, I have a lot of work to do with uh, figuring out how to manage a service manager as well. Yep. Yep. Okay. So let, let's kind of like wrap up with um, you know what's the what's the biggest challenge you're trying to uh, 
uh, overcome in in 2017? What's what's one of your big rocks for the year? I think it's managing the managers. Uh, last year, my biggest challenge was finding the right people, because uh -huh. uh, I think the key to success certainly you have to have you know your finances in order. You have to have good sales and marketing. But none of that's going to keep going if you don't have the right people on your team. Mm -hmm. uh, I think my staff and my uh, are the most important part to our business. And I feel like last year we really got that in place. We have a great staff now. We're up to 13. But I have three others from the finance to our products and our services that those three, if you will, managers, uh, I really need to figure out how to uh, incentivize them to what metrics will I be measuring them by. They are putting to place in place measurements for their staff and, and the positions that they're in, but I need to figure out how to manage them and keep them all focused in the same direction. Yeah, I think it's... Uh you know, eFolder, we're, we're quite involved with HTG, and I think this is that phase yes. where you start thinking about you're really building a leadership team, and it's really about having that, uh, you know, layer of leaders below a business owner or principal or, you know, uh, CEO or president um, that can really run the business without you. I mean, if you, you, you at some point, you should be able to take a month-long vacation and come back and everything is hunky-dory and um, that requires a lot of metrics and coaching and mentoring and processes but it also requires really developing those folks into true leaders so that they have a really uh, sense of ownership and accountability for their portion of the business yes I, I agree with that exactly yeah so um, anyway so I think today well well Bill this was this was fantastic. Tons of great uh, insights on how to build a predictable marketing and lead generation engine using education. So I really appreciate that, and I think uh, you know some of the big rocks and things you're working on are many of the things our our listeners are also focused on. So thank you for sharing your insights and wisdom here, and making time for us today. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed it. Okay, great. Have a great day. Uh, today we were joined by Bill Ohms of BSS Consulting in Indiana. This is Ted Holsey, Vice President of Marketing, signing off. See you next time.